Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor John Gardea. Join us as we are pointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's holy word. Good morning, everybody. Hopefully this uh, microphone will cooperate with us. But what a joy and what a blessing it is to be here this morning. Uh, It is a fearful thing to stand into the pulpit. There is so much responsibility when you're preaching God's Word. Uh, But I just want to pray, if you'll please uh, join me. Dear Heavenly Father, glory be to your name, dear Lord. I pray that today that you would be glorified, dear Lord. I pray that the word that I preached this morning would be spoken clearly, uh, accurately, and that it would be your word, dear Lord, and not my own. I thank you for each person that's here today, and I just pray that we would be edified and that we would continue to grow in your word. And dear Lord, I also pray for my daughter, Christelle. I just pray that you would put your healing hands upon her and help her to get better soon, dear Lord. And I pray for this country. Dear Lord, I know that this country, the sins are piled very high, and we need you, dear Lord. And I just pray that you would even be in the hearts of our leaders, our president, our vice president, the senators. I just pray, dear Lord, that you would give them a heart that, is, that would be after you, dear Lord, and that this country would turn from its sinful ways and that it would, we would just rest in you. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for all you've done for us. We thank you for the cross and for the many blessings you have bestowed upon us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you who know me, you know that one of the pastors that I love to listen to is, is John MacArthur. And I was listening to him uh, preach, and one of the things that he was talking about was D.L. Moody and the, the fire in Chicago in 1871. So it was on October the 8th, 1871, where the Chicago fire ravished through three and a half square miles of the city. Now, you have to keep in mind that at this time, the homes, they were built out of wood, and they used tar for the roofs of these homes. So when they caught on fire, they really burned. So needless to say, the fire was one of the greatest tragedies of the 19th century. Approximately 100,000 people, that was a third of the city, were left homeless. 50 churches and 18,000 buildings were burned to the ground. But to D.L. Moody, it was not the loss of the property that mattered. It was the loss of precious souls. The night that the fire broke out, D.L. Moody was preaching to 2,500 people. He was preaching on Matthew 27, 22. And if you remember, that's where Pilate asked the question, What then shall we do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And this is a very important question. 
a question for each one of us, because each one of us who is born into this world has to answer that question. The night that Moody, uh, when he ended the sermon, he challenged these 2,500 people, and he told them to take a week, the whole week, and consider making a commitment to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And while singing their last hymn that night, they could hear the sounds of the wailing fire engines. Moody said that that one-week challenge that he presented to the people that night was the biggest mistake of his life. Moody often wondered how many of those 2,500 people died in the fire, never committing themselves to Christ. From that moment on, he always pressed the urgency to commit to Christ. Moody said, I would have rather have cut off my right hand than to give an audience a week to decide what to do with Jesus. Today's message, it is a message of urgency. So let's start off with uh, our verse this, this morning, our verses this morning in Hebrews 3, 7. So the first part of this verse says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now this warning, this is a verse coming from the Holy Spirit. And we know that it's the Holy Spirit because the writer of Hebrews states that it is the Holy Spirit that is speaking. Now, we don't know who penned the book of Hebrews, but we do know that the Holy Spirit is the true author of all Scripture. Second Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. There were 40 different people who wrote the Bible, and every single scripture was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. And those who penned the Bible, what's very interesting is they came from a variety of different backgrounds. There were authors who were shepherds, fishermen, there was a doctor, a rabbi, a tax collector, a cupbearer, a military general, a political leader, and even kings. And the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. Isn't that amazing, considering all of that, all of these facts, that the Bible has a central theme? In a nutshell, the message of the Bible is that God is restoring the world from its fallen state to its original design through Jesus Christ. In its fallen state, mankind continually rejects God and his plan. And Jesus entered into a broken world to die on a cross to restore mankind. And as Christians... That's you and I. We have a responsibility to know God's infallible word and to teach others the truth. So our message today is a warning for the unbeliever. It is a warning for those who are on the fence. They're just not quite sure. But if you're on the fence, you're not a believer. If you are in Christ, 
I don't want you to think that this sermon is not for you because it is. Because brothers and sisters, we are ambassadors of Christ and we need to bring forth that message of the gospel. This warning, this very warning that was given to the Hebrews in this book, it's the same warning that people need to hear today. So continuing on in Hebrews 7b through 8, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. The word today, it's not referring to a 24-hour period. It's stressing the urgency of hearing God's word now. And why, my, why must I listen to God's word? Can't I do it in a few years when I get older? Can I do it then? Well, my question to you is, do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Because life is just a, uh, it's just a vapor. It's here for a little while and then it vanishes away. When the Chicago fire erupted in 1871, how many people knew that they would lose their life in the fire that very day? In Luke chapter 12, verse 6, it talks about a very rich man who built very large barns and he was going to store his grain in these barns. And then he decided that because of his wealth, he could take it easy and he could begin to eat and drink and be merry. But the Lord said, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. We don't know how long life is going to last. It could be years from now, or it could be today. We don't know the day or the hour. Therefore, today we need to hear his voice. Today we need to hear the Lord's warning to us. Today we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you need to spread the gospel today. People who, are, who don't know Christ, they're in danger right now, this very second. And what are they in danger from? Well, we all have a serious illness that we are born with, every single one of us. Sin is the deadliest sin which is has ever been contracted and is contracted by every single person that's born into this world with the exception of, of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells, tells us that the wages of sin is death. So what does that mean? It means that there's a price to pay for sin. And the Lord, he's coming and he will judge the world in righteousness and his people in faithfulness. And this is very bad news for those who die in sin. Dying with sin means that God must righteously punish sin. God must punish sin if he is the perfect God, and he is. God is a good God. He is perfect in every way, which means he has to judge perfectly. Therefore, all sin must be punished. And the wicked... 
are cast into the outer darkness. It is the farthest place away from the light of God. A place of such great torment where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Nobody can possibly fathom the horrors of hell. So what must I do to be saved? I tell you, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. John 3.18 says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So to put it into the simplest terms that I can, if you do, if you do not trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you must pay the price for the sins that you have committed. You see, there are two possibilities. Either the, you pay for the sins that you committed, or your sins have already been paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. It's either one way or the other. And the Lord does not wish for any to perish, but, to, for, but for all to come to repentance. You see, God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, and he demonstrated his love for us on the cross, even while we were yet sinners. Jesus Christ suffered. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was punished. And he died on a cross. And to deny such a sacrifice that Jesus endured for you is the most detestable sin that anyone can commit. But God has given us hope that if you confess with your mouth as Jesus as Lord and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen to that. This is the good news of the gospel. Salvation is exclusively through Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven and earth that can be given among men by which we can be saved. So now that you have heard the gospel, because that's what I just preached, I asked you, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? This is a question that needs to be answered today, right now. What are you waiting for? True belief in Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, it's not just the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ either. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe in shudder. True belief is trust and faith. And you see, that is the exact problem that is being addressed right here in Hebrews. We can conclude that the, big book, that the book of Hebrews was written to a community of Hebrews, and some of the Jews in this community, they did believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But there were others who heard the gospel, and they may have been enlightened by what they heard, they tasted of the heavenly gift. 
They understood the message of the gospel, but they never fully committed themselves to Jesus. And some of the Jews, they may have been afraid to commit because of the possibility of intense persecution. You know, and that's really something that here in America we are, have not really experienced. But I do believe that the day is coming. But because of the threat of persecution, the Hebrews, they were tempted to cast aside any identification with Christ. These Hebrews, they failed to trust in the Lord to deliver them. These Hebrews were repeating the very same sins that their ancestors who died in the wilderness had committed. Their ancestors, they saw the miracles of God. They saw them performed through Moses and Aaron. Yet they chose not to hear the voice of God. And that brings us to Hebrews uh, uh, verses 8 and 9 of our study today. And we're going we're gonna to camp out in these verses for a while. And it says, Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Now the beginning of verse 8 is actually a quote from Psalm 95 verse 8, which gives us the example of Meribah. And Meribah translated means rebellion. The sons of Israel, they camped out at Rephidim, and there was no water for them to drink. So they quarreled with Moses, if you remember this story, and they said, give us water so that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Their grumbling and their complaining, this was an act of rebellion that demonstrated their lack of faith in the Lord. Now I want you to think about this. Why is this rebellion such a bad thing? Because if we were all in the desert, in the same boat, and we were very, very thirsty because there was no water, would you grumble and complain? Probably. So I want us to look at the big picture here. What was going on with the Israelites? What was happening? So let's back up to the time where they were still in Egypt and they were enslaved. And I want you to try to picture as if you were a fly on the wall. What would have you seen if you were that fly on the wall? Well, the Lord brings 10 plagues upon Egypt. And the first of these plagues, Moses, with the, by the power of the Lord, turns the water into blood. And this is the water of the rivers, the streams, the pools, the reservoirs, even the vessels that contained their, um, the, that were made out of wood and stone that contained water, even that water was turned to blood. And there was such a stench because the fish that were in the Nile, they had died. So it was very difficult for the Egyptians to drink. Then came the, pl the plague of the frogs. And these frogs were everywhere. They were even in the houses, they were in the bedrooms, and they were even in the bed, even in the ovens. 
Frogs everywhere. Then, the, then I, I think this one here is a dreaded plague, and that is the lice. So if you have ever had experience with the lice, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Um, they're not really harmful, but they are disgusting. And lice, they were on the men and they were on beasts. And Exodus 8.17 tells us that all the dust of the earth became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. That's a lot of lice because there is a lot of dust. Just look at the dust that's in your house. Then came the swarms of flies. And the flies invaded the land of Egypt. The houses of of the Egyptians were full of swarms of flies. Yet the land of Goshen, where God's people dwelled, no flies. And then there was a very severe pestilence that brought death to the livestock in the field, which included the horses, the donkeys, and the camels. Yet, not a single animal that belonged to the sons of Israel died. Then comes the next plague. This is the sixth plague. It was the boils. The boils broke out not only on man, but on on beast. And if you don't know what a boil is, it's a pus-filled swelling on the skin, and it's caused by a bacterial infection from a hair follicle, and it is very painful. Then... The next plague, the Lord rained down thunder and hail and fire on the land. And the hail struck all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every plant that was in the field, and it shattered the trees. Yet in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, no hail. And then comes the eighth plague, the locust. And they were so many locusts that it covered the surface of the land. No one was able to see the land because there were so many locusts. The land was devoured and not a green thing remained. Even their houses were filled with locusts. So needless to say, Egypt, it was destroyed. It was devastated. Then came the ninth plague, and this was darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. And this was a supernatural darkness. It was so dark that they could not even see one another, and no one left their place during this time because it was so dark. Yet the sons of Israel, they had light in their dwellings. Then there was the death of of the firstborn. And there was such a cry in Egypt because there was not a home where there was not somebody who had died. Yet the Israelites, they dwelled in peace. It was tranquil. Not even a dog could be heard barking. That's how peaceful it was in the land of Goshen. So the Lord had made a sharp distinction between Egypt and Israel, which none could be blind to. It was pure, obvious that this was the hand of God. It was plain as day that God is in control and that he cared for his people. And the Israelites witnessed all of these plagues. They witnessed the devastation that happened in Egypt.
And even in the midst of all of this devastation that had occurred, the Israelites were not affected by these plagues. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. And even after all the Israelites exited Egypt, the miracles continued in the wilderness. So what happened in the wilderness? Well, the Lord, and now picture this. I've always wanted to picture this. The Lord led the Israelites, uh, Israelites out of Egypt as a pillar. It was a pillar of cloud. What would have that looked like? How high did it go? I imagine it was massive. And then at nighttime, it was a pillar of fire so that they could see. And then when the Egyptians had a change of heart and they decided that they would pursue Israel out in the desert, what happened? That pillar, it came in between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and it protected the Israelites. Now this, I think, has to be the most amazing miracle that the Egyptians witnessed. And I so wish I could have seen this. What would have it been like to see the Lord part the Red Sea? Because this was a miracle that defied all physical laws. And it was clearly done by the hand of God. There was a wall of water on one side and a wall of water on the other side. And the land that they walked on was dry. And it was dry for their safe passage. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? And so once they passed on and they moved on, the miracles continued. When they came to Merah, where the waters were bitter, the Lord made them sweet so that they could drink. And then they became hungry. So the Lord provided manna and quail for them to eat. And then that brings us to the rock at Rephidim. And this brings us to where the Israelites complained and rebelled against the Lord. Even though they were complaining the entire time, uh, this is where it is cited in our verses today, that they rebelled against the Lord. And these verses, what they do is they describe Israel wandering in the wilderness um, after their delivery from Egypt, obviously, and despite God's works and his faithfulness, Israel continued to reject the Lord. Time after time, the Lord demonstrated that he would take care of the Jews. And the Israelites, they witnessed all of these miracles. They saw all of this with their very own eyes. Yet they rebelled against the Lord over and over and they complained, and they grumbled, and they put the Lord to the test again and again. Every time they experienced a little bit of stress, they would complain, whether it be lack of food, lack of water, lack of safety. Moses even cried to the Lord. He says, what am I to do with these people? They're ready to stone me. And the sons of Israel at Meribah even asked, can you imagine what they asked here? They said, is the Lord among us or not? What? <laughs> How can you ask that? 
What did the Lord just deliver you from? How could they ask that question after the countless miracles that the Lord had performed? And the Lord made it obvious that he would take care of them. It would seem to be logical if the Lord had brought them and freed them from the greatest empire of that time, and if he had brought Egypt down to its knees, if he demonstrated that he would provide for their needs and give them the water that they needed, the food that they needed, why couldn't they trust in the Lord? It demonstrated their lack of faith in the Lord. It demonstrated the character of unbelief They denied that the work of the Lord, and they were unwilling to act on the truth. Israel failed to believe and trust in God's promise. And verse 9 says that Israel continued to put the Lord to the test for the entire 40 years that they were in the wilderness. They habitually sinned. They continued to deny the Lord. And the Lord was grieved because of their unbelief. And unfortunately, this isn't the only time in history that the Israelites, that they grieved the Lord. So the Hebrews that were being addressed in the book of Hebrews, they knew about the history of their ancestors. They knew what happened in the wilderness. But they also knew about the works of Jesus Christ. They heard God's words preached by the saints that were among them. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that these Hebrews, that they should have been teachers of God's word, yet they remained on the elementary principles of God's work. They were drinking milk when they should have been eating solid food. These Hebrews, they understood that Christ had been rejected by the people. Now, considering all that the Israelites saw and heard about Jesus Christ, let's think about this. Jesus Christ performed countless miracles. He healed the sick. He healed the lepers. He healed those who are paralyzed. He healed a man that had the withered hand. He had healed several people who were demon-possessed. He healed a woman who had internal bleeding. He healed the blind, the deaf, He healed a man with dropsy. He fed thousands of people with just a few pieces of fish and a few pieces of bread. And he raised the dead to life. And most importantly, Jesus Christ was resurrected three days after dying on the cross. Scriptures tell us that the multitude in Israel that they witnessed the works of Christ. And during that time, people came either to see a miracle or to receive a miracle. Jesus had difficulty entering into towns because so many people came to see him. And they always wanted to see more, yet they could not come to believe. Once again, they failed to believe God. They could never commit to Christ despite the undeniable evidence. 
The Jews, they did not trust, they did not have faith in Jesus Christ. This is the unforgivable sin. All other sins can be forgiven. Let's think about this. Murder, rape, theft, false witness, sexual sin, greed, idolatry. All of these sins can be forgiven if you come to the Lord with a true repentant heart. These sins will be forgiven. But the one sin that cannot be forgiven is the sin of unbelief because this is the rejection of Christ. And the Hebrews that the Holy Spirit was warning were in danger of committing this unforgivable sin. And what we need to realize is to this very day, people continue to commit this unforgivable sin, never willing to fully submit to Jesus. And throughout history, mankind has denied the Father, the Son, and so many today are denying the Holy Spirit. The rebellion against God continues to this very day. How many have heard the gospel for years, perhaps, but have never committed to Christ? Maybe they don't come to Christ because they're afraid of what somebody might say. Maybe it's a family member that would give them a hard time. Maybe they fear persecution at work, because we are starting to see that. Or maybe it's because they have a desire for the things of this world. The desire to satisfy the flesh, to continue to live in sin. If that's the case, it is the sin of unbelief. And somebody may even say, but we haven't seen the same miracles that the Israelites got to witness. Yeah, that's, that's true. We, we haven't seen it with our very own eyes. But God has given us undeniable evidence even today. You see, the Holy Spirit, he is present and he teaches the truth. And if you just look around, God's fingerprints are everywhere. God created the earth, the sun, the stars, and all of the diversity of our animals and of our plants in this world. And I think one of the most obvious is the creation of you. Think about this. You have a consciousness I don't even know where the consciousness is. Is it here or here? I don't, I don't know. But you have a consciousness. And not even science can explain human consciousness. Can a surgeon do heart surgery or brain surgery and remove your consciousness? God has given you this consciousness so that you can understand. So that you can understand his word. And so that you can understand when you commit a sin. Because you know when you lie. You know when you steal. You know that it's wrong to watch pornography. You know it's wrong to dishonor your parents. The reason that you know is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And he 
that is the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not, to, is not condemnation, but to convict people of their sin. So understanding that you're a sinner brings you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When you figure out that you're a sinner, that's when you realize that you need Jesus Christ. Through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit supernaturally reveals all truth by which God has revealed in Christ. The Bible, it's axiomatic. And axiom, axiomatic means it's self-proving. And the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of God to you. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the depth, the deep things of God. For who among, men, who among men knows the thoughts of men except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Through God's word, the Holy Spirit reveals the Lord. So I ask you, do you deny the work of the Holy Spirit? Do you hear his voice? Or do your hearts go astray? Man continues to be rebellious. We are an obstinate and a wretched people. What hope do we have? The Holy Spirit reveals that Jesus Christ is our hope. And Jesus intercedes for sinners so that through the righteousness of Christ, we can have eternal life. And to deny this truth is the very same sin that the Israelites were committing against God in the wilderness. So I tell you today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hear this warning and run to the cross. Trust in the Lord today. Now, let's go back to the Israelites in the days of Moses. Hebrews 3.10 says, Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they did not know my ways. 
Now, therefore, at the very beginning of this verse, that is, that me, that's the meaning is for that reason. So, therefore, is connecting the verses that we just studied with why the Lord is angry. And the Lord was angry with this generation of Israelites that he led out of captivity. He was aggravated, he was vexed, and he was infuriated because they continually provoked him. After all that the Lord did for the Israelites, considering the plagues of the Egyptians, considering the, the miracles in the wilderness and the provisions of the wilderness, after all of this, they still wanted to go their own way and do their own thing. They were continually and habitually evil. And they continued to sin. And Deuteronomy 9.7 says, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord, your God, to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place, this place being the plains of Moab, you have been rebellious to the Lord. The Israelites, they went astray in their hearts. Israel had a long history of being stubborn and continually provoking the Lord. Despite the Lord's faithfulness to them, they loved the darkness because they loved their deeds, which were evil. And because of their darkened hearts, they could not know the Lord, nor did they want to know the Lord. Their hearts were not committed to the Lord. So they grumbled and they complained, endlessly putting the Lord to the test. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God. Indeed, it cannot. So, as a result of the Lord's anger, the Lord says in Hebrews 3.11, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, I don't know about you, but these words are very sobering. They're very concerning. In this verse, the Lord makes an oath to himself. An oath is a promise. This oath was a binding oath. They shall not enter into my rest. This refers to Canaan, the promised land, the land of milk and honey. This was the land that the Lord had promised Israel. It was their inheritance so that they could rest from their wandering around in the desert and from all the problems that they had. However, because of their sin, Israel reached a point of no return. And because of their rebellion against God, this entire generation of Israelites were prohibited from entering into the promised land with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. They continually angered the Lord by refusing to trust in him, despite everything that had been done. Yes, the Lord is patient, but there is a point when he says enough is enough. They shall not enter my rest. So let us learn from history. This is a warning for us. And we must heed this warning. 
Do you not tremble when you hear those words? They shall not enter my rest. It makes me tremble. Now I know I'm saved, and I know many of you out there are saved. But don't you have loved ones who are not? Do you not fear for them? Hebrews 3.17 says, With whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We can never reach the righteousness that's required to get into heaven. It's impossible for man to get into heaven based on their own merits. But Jesus Christ, he's righteous. And through the righteousness of Christ is how we enter into that rest. The key is to submit. And by submitting to Jesus Christ... It, must, it means that we must be obedient. We need to obey his word. His word is the Bible. And Jesus said, If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Being a Christian is not easy. It's very difficult. But I tell you this, Jesus is the only way. God gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. If you truly believe, if you have true saving faith, you have passed from death to life. And if you don't believe, you're condemned already. Unbelief will be judged. Hebrews 11.6 and without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. And Jesus said, Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Though it is true, God, he is loving, he's full of mercy, and he is gracious. Yes, he is. But it's also true that God is full of wrath against those who break his laws and reject his offer of reconciliation. So it's imperative that you understand that God gave us his one and only son to pay for the sins that we have committed how precious is the gift of life that is offered to us through the Son of God. To reject this offer is to commit the same sin as the Israelites. This is the unforgivable sin of unbelief. And people wrongfully conclude that because God is a loving God, he certainly wouldn't send anybody to hell. Because that, that belief is very popular. 
But the Bible clearly states that God is a just judge and he will judge righteously. Hebrews 10, 26 through 31 says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe a punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? That is the Holy Spirit. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Judge, God will judge righteously. So my question for you today, will you repent of your sins and stop your rebellion against God? Do not harden your hearts. Complaining and grumbling and putting the Lord to the test as the Israelites did in the wilderness. Trust in the Lord because he is faithful. With the complexities and the problems of this world, it's easy to put your trust somewhere else. Maybe you're trusting in yourselves. Maybe it's in other men. Maybe it's in the government. Maybe the government will save us. Maybe you're putting your trust in science. Maybe your trust is in technology. Is it in a vaccine? I tell you, none of these things are going to save you. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. The Israelites made the mistake of trusting in themselves rather than in the Lord. Stray, stay on the straight and narrow path. Today, run to the foot of the cross. It's the only safe place to be. It is the only place where you can find true rest. It is urgent if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Life is like a vapor. It's here for one minute and it's gone the next. Don't take life for granted because your soul can be required of you any second. So I plead with you. I plead with you. Submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. Trust in him and believe in Jesus. And without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Take care, brothers. 
This is Hebrews uh, verse 12, which says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So take note that the word brothers in this verse, it's not referring to Christian brethren. In verse 12, the author is addressing his fellow Jews. He is admonishing these non-Christians who were on the verge of faith, and perhaps they even claimed to be Christian. They were unbelieving Jewish brethren who were in the company of believers. And the believers, they pleaded with their Jewish brethren to believe and be saved before it's too late. Just like the generation that perished in the wilderness, evil manifested itself in disbelief. Unbelief leads a person away from the cross and to the world. By rejecting the gospel, that is to depart from God. If you do not truly believe, you cannot be saved. No matter how close you come to faith in Christ, if you never fully commit yourself to him, you have an unbelieving heart that is evil. And an evil heart, it will always go its own way. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So in closing, I ask you today, have you heard his voice? Or have you hardened your hearts just as the Israelites did in the wilderness? Do you have an evil, unbelieving heart? Or have you completely submitted to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? There's only two possibilities. It's one way or the other. And Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So either you are with the Lord or you are not. Are you on the verge of faith but have not completely, uh, completely committed your life to Christ? Do you claim to be Christian? Maybe you're not sure. So I tell you, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail the test? So listen to this warning. The Bible is clear. It is very clear that there are few who are saved. And throughout, we've seen, throughout history, mankind consistently follows the pattern of rejecting the Lord. We can see it right here and right now in our very own country. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been rejected throughout the ages. The generation of Israelites that were freed from Egypt, there were probably two to three million of men, women, and children, they never reached the promised land with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. And then there was the generation of Israelites who eyewitnessed the life of Jesus Christ, yet they didn't believe. There were the scribes and the Pharisees who witnessed Christ, yet they sought to kill him. 
As Christ entered to Jerusalem on a donkey, what did the crowds shout? They shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. And by saying this, the crowds acknowledged Christ as the Messiah. Yet a few days later, this unbelieving generation shouted, Crucify him! And Pilate, an unbeliever, even asked, Why? What evil has he done? I found no cause to put him to death. And on five separate occasions, Pilate and Herod announced the innocence of Christ. Yet, the voices of the Jews and the Jewish leaders prevailed, and they shouted, Crucify him! And present day, that is today, men continue to reject the Lord by denying the work of the Holy Spirit. And through his ministry, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. In 1 Peter 1.12, Peter said that the gospel is preached to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So hear his voice and do not take granted the grace of God and continue to live in sin. Repent and turn from your sin and turn to God. So I plead with you today, stop this rejection. If you hear the word of God, do not harden your hearts as they did in the wilderness and as they did with Christ and as people are doing today with the Holy Spirit. Do not put the Lord to the test. Do not grumble. Do not complain. Do not go astray in your heart by continuing to live in sin. Do not deny the Holy Spirit who convicts the world concerning sin. Do not harden your heart. Heed this warning. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. What hope do we have? There is only one who can save you. So I tell you, trust in the name of Jesus. Heed this warning from the Holy Spirit. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, repent of your sins and submit to yourself at the foot of the cross. Trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you are in Christ, go out and spread this urgent message. Tell your co-workers, tell your friends, tell your loved ones, warn your family members. I tell you, today is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. 
We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. for Connections Sunday School and from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our worship service. We're located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso, along with our hosting sister church, Mission de Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ.